The countdown is on to fight time. This is Big Fight Weekend. Now, here is your host, TJ Reeves. Yes, indeed. Hello there. Welcome in. It is February, and we're already ready to go with a championship fight on Friday night of the WBO World Title Variety in the Junior Lightweight Division. A guy I'm fascinated to see back in the ring in Emmanuel Navarrete uh, as he defends, or actually he goes for the vacant WBO Junior Lightweight title. That's an ESPN top rank show. We're ready to preview that. That card from Arizona, we're ready to, ready to preview as well the ladies' championship doubleheader that will be taking place on Saturday night in New York featuring Amanda Serrano in one uh, uh, undisputed title fight. Uh, at featherweight, Alicia Baumgartner's separate undisputed title fight at junior lightweight. We've got all that to go over. We've got a special guest, Edgar Berlanga, on the podcast in a bit. And without further delay, hello, Dan Rayfield, our insider, Fight Freaks Unite Substack, BigFightWeekend.com. I think we're ready to go here for uh, February. How you feeling? You ready for some championship action this weekend? Well, I'm not fighting, but I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, I'm not fighting either, but we're ready to see some of this. Uh, we made mention of the fact that some of these weekends are going to have two and at times three. Hey, we love it. Uh, fight cards of real relevance with title fights, et cetera. We're ready to do that. Thank you for finding us. However, you did so through a social media link, Dan Substack, bigfightweekend.com. Make sure you're following, subscribing. We should say to the audience, thank you for rating us and reviewing us. We'll give away the bribery item, the Takate collector's item cup or, or two of Dan's choice. Somebody will get that. We're going to reveal that off the weekend. So thank you. Everybody that reviewed us in January took a screenshot, sent it to us. We're going to give that away to somebody. We ain't forgot you. We're just, we, we got a busy show here. We got a lot to get to on the program without delay because the podcast is out and we got Friday night, top rank ESPN fight card in Arizona. Uh, Navarrete back. Give me some thoughts on that title fight on that whole card. We're interested in all of this. He's a he's a knockout guy in championship action. He's got eight knockouts in ten championship fights. All right, give me some more, Dan. Well, I'm, I'm first of all, I'm pretty excited for the fact that this card is on Friday night, and then the other card is on Saturday night. So there's two major shows of the weekend, and you don't have to have them conflict with each other. You don't have to go directly from one to the other like I did last weekend and watch about seven hours of boxing in a row, which even does uh, for somebody as diehard as myself can become a bit, a bit much. So I like the fact that it's uh, Friday night and then Saturday night. But in any event, you mentioned Navarrete, very exciting fighter, been a champion in the 122 pound weight class, won a world title, still has a world title in the 126 pound weight class. He is now taking the opportunity to fight for the vacant title, uh, the WBO belt in the 130 pound weight class, seeking to become a three division world title holder. Uh, you know, after the fight, whatever happens, he'll then make a decision about whether he'll remain in the 130 weight class or go back and defend his title at featherweight. I suspect given his recent issues with weight that he'll stay at 130, regardless of what occurs uh, in that fight Friday night. And uh, you know, he, he was originally supposed to take on Oscar Valdez, the former title holder in that weight class, but Oscar suffered an injury and was able to, was not able to, to come through for this fight. So he had a full out and they brought in Liam Williams, who was highly ranked by the WBO, the winner of this fight, uh, particularly if it's, Navarrete, the top ranks and plans are still to make that fight for later this year uh, in the first defense, which will be a tremendous battle. Of course, if it's Navarrete Valdez, I mean, how you can't get a lot better in terms of on paper action fights. But uh, in the meantime, you got Liam William, Liam Wilson, I should say, uh, who is 11 and one with seven knockouts, uh, a fighter out of Australia. Uh, 
I don't know. I, I mean, I, I'm not that familiar with him. Only I saw his one loss where he got knocked out, and that was a fight that was on an undercard on ESPN Plus. But he's won all of his other fights, and he also avenged that one loss uh, to the opponent that defeated him. So the one thing I do like about him is just the desire he has for this fight the opportunity and everything he's done to assure himself of getting this. And I wrote a little bit about that uh, this week, which is he takes the fight on somewhat short notice in the first place. He comes all the way from Australia to the United States. That's a long ball busting trip. He goes to Washington, DC and he goes to the gym, which is probably like half an hour from my house headbangers, which is the gym uh, run by Barry Hunter, who is a very well-known trainer, had the Peterson brothers has worked with a lot of other fighters, been in, been with a lot of guys, team USA and, has worked with Adrian Broner and just, you know, a whole bunch of fighters. Javante Davis, he's been in the corner as an assistant. Just, you know, a great trainer and a, and a good guy. Anyway, he's also the trainer presently for Isaac Dogbay. And Isaac Dogbay's been training in Washington. And Isaac Dogbay is getting ready for his fight with Robesi Ramirez uh, in April. And the, the I'm not sure exactly how it came about, but Liam Wilson wanted to go there and train because he wanted to pick the brain of Isaac Dogbay who, even though he lost two times to Navarrete, had been in the ring with him twice and figured he, anything he could tell me uh, might be helpful. So he he took the opportunity to, to train in that gym where they've got great sparring and and a lot of top fighters uh, through the years and also picked the brain of Isaac Dogbay about his opponent. And then, unexpectedly, he had to finalize his visa. Now, if you are familiar with the visas, you have to go to the location and have a, it's It's a real pain in the neck. But the bottom line was, he could have gone back to Australia. He could have gone to Colombia. The other place he could go to do it in the embassy was I'm not sure why Colombia. In any event, London, <laughs> London, or you know, in England, that was the closest location to Washington. To do that, so we had to fly from from DC to London to get the visa squared away. He spent about a week there, ten days or so, got that taken care of, flew back to Washington, finished up the camp, and then went back to Glendale, which is another you know five hour flight to the west, to, you know, to Phoenix area. So this guy has flown, as I wrote, to the ends of the earth to make sure that he's ready and able to participate in this fight. So whatever his talent level is, his desire and his his uh, his his true gusto for this fight is at the all time high. Um, you know, as somebody joked, Navarrete, he just had to kind of you know make the trip across the border into <laughs> Arizona. You know, that's like five minutes compared to this worldwide yeah. version that this dude's been on. So uh, I don't know how that's going to do. Uh, do him for once the bell rings uh, but you got to like the desire and the commitment to the fight there's no doubt about that so uh again for Navarrete he's going for a third world title in a third different division uh this guy was very active in and around the dog bay win where he fought like four times in like a eight or nine month period which we love uh again explosive in both hands moving up in weight um will make the predictions on the bet us boxing show coming at one eastern time but obviously it's going to be very interesting on how long can wilson hang in what kind of punch he can take because this guy can bring it navarante can bring it now maybe there's a question can he bring it at 130 like he did at 122 and 126 we're about to find out well there was a little bit of um discussion uh on thursday when they had the weigh-in because surprising to myself and i think everybody else so Everybody on the show weighed in around where they're supposed to weigh. One one fight was canceled because one opponent uh, was way, way overweight. But everybody else that weighed in, all right about where they're supposed to be. No real weird weights. Uh, never it was 129.2. So, you know, just a shade under the 130. And then Liam Wilson 
for a fight that's in the 130 pound weight class where that's the max he weighed in 126.3 slightly over the featherweight limit almost four full pounds below where he's supposed to be now his team claims that that was a screwed up scale where he had weighed uh you know a little before the weigh-in just to test his weight like an hour or two you know like fighters are allowed to do to make sure they're there and he was like 129 they claim and when he weighed in, he on the scale officially he was 126, <laughs> and then an hour and a half later he was like 136. So they're claiming uh, that 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 the Navarrete team or somebody somebody messed around or rigged the scale because they claimed that Navarrete was having weight problems, and so to get him to be able to make 130, they 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 screwed around with the scale. Which now, which we don't know, but that would be highly suspicious if they think it's as much as three pounds off, and Navarrete had pounds. had right had weight problems before making 126. The reason why, okay, wow. I mean, I've heard that happen. And I look, I, I was there in Las Vegas for uh, Jose Luis Castillo, Diego Corrales, number two, where one of the cornermen in the Louis, Jose Luis Castillo camp tried to screw with the scale at the weigh-in by sticking <laughs> his foot underneath the scale. Now, anybody out there that knows Mark Ratner, who was yep. the former longtime yep. executive director of the Nevada Commission, now is in the regulatory part of UFC, who was about as poised and chill a guy as you'll ever meet. And in my a gazillions of interactions with Mark on the phone, in person, etc., never saw him lose his temper once, curse or, or lose his cool. And he wigged out on that dude when he was trying to fuck with the scale. So, but here's the thing though, the reason why, and I understand where the Wilson people are coming from, if they feel like they actually were 129 and now suddenly he's 126 and Navarrete, you know, just is under the limit. The reason why it, it seems unlikely is because the scale was used for all of the fighters to weigh in and everybody else that weighed in was where they're supposed to be. There was no other weight anomaly. So that's sort of maybe something to keep an eye on when they when they talk about this fight on Friday night. So it begs that maybe the scale they were privately using was screwed up. That could that's well, possible. Allowed, that's possible. I, I think they're allowed to use the official scale to test themselves Interesting. on the way. Well, because that's, I remember way, that's that's in the it? possession of the commission. There's somebody there. That's right. And they, and they calibrated and tested. But wasn't there a controversy with Teofimo Lopez, if not in this most recent fight, in one of his last two fights, where he had trouble making the weight and they were claiming, I believe it was Teofimo, hey, we've been we've been weighing on the exact same type of scale, not the official scale, and he's under the weight on that scale for the last 12 hours. This is off by a pound. And there was, a, there was some kind of, I remember that, and I think it was Teofimo. So th- I'm just adding that to the discussion about yeah, I don't I don't remember that I just yeah. know that it that that the bottom line is all the boxers use the same scale so if you're weighing in an entire card of fighters yeah everybody is where they're and supposed somebody, to be and somebody's and, not suddenly three pounds over that's going hey wait a minute I'm not three pounds over what's up with the scale before Navarrete steps on that's what your point is so yeah, I mean and listen at the end of the day we hope uh that that nothing was done that shouldn't have been done and we hope that they you know they have a good right. fight and whatever happens happens but look when Navarrete's in action, you got to watch because he has that explosive power. And listen, let's be honest, man. He looked like shit in his last fight. He knocked out Eduardo Baez in like, you know, five or six rounds. But before he got the knockout, he looked absolutely terrible. And that was uh, attributed by him and his team and the broadcasters, et cetera, on his really difficult issues making 126. Weight drain. Weight drain. Yeah, whatever happens on Friday night, he's not going back to defend the featherweight title. 
Uh, right. He'll stay at 130, whatever happens. Fair enough. Will it be a knockout again? As you mentioned, Wilson's first trip outside of Australia. And my God, what a trip back and forth Oof. trying just to get to this fight. All right. So excellent illumination there by Mr. Rayfield. Quickly, what else on this card? Because I want to get to the ladies championship doubleheader. And we got Ed Edgar Berlanga on deck here uh, to talk to him. You talked to him earlier this week. Where is he going to end up promotionally after severing ties with top rank? Quick thought on the undercard here, and we got, uh, what, Barboza Pedraza in the co-feature fight. Give me more. So that's a good fight. That's a 10-rounder in the junior welterweight division. Ar Arnold Barboza is an undefeated fighter. Uh, you know, still, he's, only, he's 31 years old, but still sort of seen as on the rise. This is really his first fight against, you know, a, a real serious opponent. Not to say his other guy, you know, he has fought some other good opponents. Don't get me wrong, but let me put it this way. Pedraza is the best opponent that he's going to have faced so far. And you remember, he was calling out Tiafimo Lopez. He wanted to fight him, you know, very badly. He's willing and ready to fight uh, a top name. Uh, Pedraza, uh, who steps up and fights everybody, you know, was more than willing to take on this fight. He's coming off the draw, remember, uh, in his last fight. Uh, but it does shape up like a good fight. Pedraza is extremely experienced. He's a former world champion in two weight divisions. Um, he's been somewhat active. And it just, it, it's a great test for Barbosa. Uh, even with even with Pedraza, maybe not as good in recent fights as he has been with. Uh, he had the very uh, a competitive but a real loss against Jose uh, Ramirez uh, last year. He also was coming off the draw in a really good fight against Richard Comey, you know, in a matchup of what, you know, two former lightweight title holders. So Barbosa, if he can win that fight, it puts Pedraza back in a great spot. Obviously, for Barbosa to get the win, he can move on. So that's a that's a good quality match, particularly as a co-feature. I'd be maybe a little more down on it if they made that the main event. But as a as a second fight on the show, it 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 makes for a better event, in my opinion. And then in the opening fight on this, uh, at least on the main broadcast on regular ESPN as a triple header, you have the uh the exciting and interesting and and uh big puncher in uh in the heavyweight uh, silver medal winner from the Olympics, the super heavyweight Richard Torres. He's in a six rounder, and it's just a matter of watching his continuing development. And uh, that's what, you know, we like to see uh, the young guys uh, make their way up the ladder. So you'll get a taste of him uh, on that undercard. And then besides that, if, you know, the rest of the show, like all the top rank events, obviously, they uh, they put them on ESPN Plus and you get a chance to see some of the other prospects that they have. So some of the other guys, you know, the next fight, for example, of Nico Ali Walsh, the grandson of Muhammad Ali. He's on the card. Um, you have uh, Lindolfo Delgado, a junior welterweight. He's a Mexican Olympian that it makes for exciting fights. He's fighting on this card and, you know, those types of prospects. So, you know, you got a little bit of everything, as I always like to say on these types of shows, but I'm, I'm, ex I'm looking forward to Barboza Pedraza and uh, you know, I'm excited about the main event just because I can't wait to watch never back in action. All right. All good. And again, that's Friday night, ESPN top rank Friday night. They go bonkers with college basketball day and night Saturdays right now. So they squeeze this in on Friday night. Uh, as you hear us, as we release the podcast overnight, Thursday into Friday, depending on where you're hearing it and, and when you're hearing us, this will come up Friday night, Glendale, Arizona, Saturday night in New York. Again, women's world championship doubleheader. Uh, one of the most talented, noteworthy women's fighters goes for undisputed status for a second time in the featherweight division. Uh, that's Amanda Serrano. She headlines the matchroom show uh, in New York. Uh, and then Alicia Baumgartner, who's going for undisputed status, one weight class up at junior lightweight, separate fight card, co-feature title fight. They're both in action. We're curious about both of these because, in particular, Serrano Katie Taylor is looming, we think, later this year. So, Dan, give me something on this fight card for Saturday. 
Well, Serrano, she had the opportunity to become the undisputed lightweight champion uh, in women's boxing, and she lost a very close call last April in a great fight, maybe the greatest women's fight ever in the history of women's boxing against uh, Katie Taylor in the main arena at Madison Square Garden. She's won a fight since then. This fight that she has coming up on Saturday is going to headline in the main in the Hulu Theater, which is the smaller arena on the same property. So she has got three of the featherweight belts. Erica Cruz uh, from Mexico has the other, the WBC title. So it's uh, for the undisputed title. It's a Puerto Rican and a Serrano who's from New York against Erica Cruz from Mexico. And, uh, you know, it's a chance for both of these women to become the undisputed champion. Uh, and if you if you watch Serrano in the past, you know she's a really good boxer. She's got good speed. She's got good power. Uh, Erica Cruz has been around for a while also. She's a talented fighter in her own right. She is definitely, she's not a big puncher. She's only got three knockouts in her 15 wins. You know, Serrano uh, doesn't have, uh, you know, massive knockout ratio, relatively speaking. But she's also been a, a very good puncher during her career compared to what Erica has done. So she can, the bottom line is, you know, Sir, uh, you've got Serrano with 30 knockouts compared to our opponent only has 15 wins. So that should tell you something right there. Uh, I think it's going to be at least somewhat competitive, but it's really hard to look over uh, Amanda Serrano, not think that this is, that it's a different level. She has so much experience. She's fought all the top women out there. She's done it in a whole bunch of weight classes. She's won world titles in, I want to say seven different divisions, which is the record for women's boxing. That's correct. uh, She's fought, you know, pretty much everybody. She hung in there and, and, really in many people's views should have had the win against Katie Taylor, who was like you said, a weight class of uh, even higher, uh, you know, two weight classes higher than featherweight. And she's, she's one of the best women boxers of all time. She's going to be in the hall of fame and it's going to be up to Erica Cruz to show that either she's better than that or that Amanda Serrano, after all the years of fighting is maybe on the downslide and not what she once was. So, you know, there's a, there's high stakes though, uh, you know, and as a women's main event, you know, you really aren't going to get much better unless, you know, you're talking about uh, Serrano and Taylor in a rematch or Baumgartner and Michaela Mayer in a rematch or some, you know, Savannah Marshall in, uh, in a rematch maybe against uh, Clarissa Shields. But this is an upper echelon type of women's battle between these two women. Uh, you know, they supposedly going to have a good crowd there. Amanda's uh, drawn some fans. They sold out the, the garden for the big fight against Taylor. I don't know. You know, it's not that big of a fight relative. But uh, by all accounts, there's a good crowd expected. Should be fireworks. They got a nice card on on Saturday on the zone uh, that Matchroom has put together. And Baumgartner again going for undisputed status. Her opponent, uh, this is for the vacant WBA title. Baumgartner obviously upset, slight upset of Michaela Mayer the last time out, uh, and she's going for undisputed status. Uh, and and doesn't have interest right now in giving Mayer a rematch. There was nothing mandated about that, so that's interesting too. Might Baumgartner uh, be an opponent for the winner of Taylor Serrano? Uh, might she move up? I don't know. I, I'm just speculating. Well, Who knows? Who knows yeah, what, I mean, what the future holds? Sure. Before any of that, though, she's got Ellen uh, McCallum to deal with on Saturday. So, as you mentioned, when she beat Michaela Mayer in their fight that took place in London on the same card where uh, Savannah Marshall had the fight with uh, uh, Clarissa for the undisputed title in the women's uh, middleweight division, this matchup, uh, in, or in the Michaela Mayer Baumgartner fight, Michaela uh, came in with two of the belts. Baumgartner came in with the third belt. Baumgartner once unified all three. The WBA title became vacant because the longtime uh, title holder in that weight class, uh, forget the gal's name, from South Korea. And anyway, she's been injured and hasn't fight, hasn't been fighting, and uh, she was uh, stripped of the title. So that this was the next available contender. So they uh, are in a position to fight for Baumgartner's three belts 
as well as the vacant WBA title. And, you know, when's the last time you saw a men's uh, boxing card where you had two undisputed championship fights on the same show? It's happened. I can think of a couple of examples, but it's rare. Matter of fact, today is the anniversary of one of those. It wasn't even the same card, though. It was the same broadcast on HBO where they did Roy Jones as the undisputed light heavyweight champ in one location down in Florida. They did Bernard Hopkins, who was at that time the undisputed middleweight champion, uh, fighting in Reading, Pennsylvania, back in the era where it was three belts to be undisputed. So it's it's not a common occurrence to have uh, you know two undisputed fights on the same show. I do remember another one in Atlantic City years ago that I covered where Hopkins fought William Joppy as the undisputed middleweight champ, and uh, Corey Spinks and Ricardo Mayorga fought each other for the undisputed welterweight championship on that same card. But that was a pay-per-view. This is a regular DAZN card. Uh, obviously, it's not at the same level given the the fame of those men's boxers I mentioned. Right. But the point is, for women's boxing, you know, you're not going to see many cards with that type of depth of those two uh, title title fights with so much at stake. So, you know, McCallum comes from France. She's not really well known. She's 15 and one. Uh, you know, I don't think most people have heard of her. She doesn't come in as a champion. She's getting the opportunity not only to fight for the vacant WBA, but all of Baumgartner's titles. Obviously, Baumgartner coming off that big victory that she just had. Uh, you know, earlier uh, or last year, I should say, you know, is the big favorite, obviously. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it's not the main event even. It's I mean, you know, undisputed championship fight as a co-feature. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. So to me, uh, it's worth watching. We'll find out, you know, if Baumgartner can um, not get caught up in all the hype and the and the accolades and the headlines that she received after the victory against Michaela Mayer and that she's focused and, you know, not overlooking her and, and reading her press clippings and all that kind of business. And uh, as you mentioned, if she is successful and she takes care of her business, maybe uh, she will get an opportunity to fight Katie Taylor. That would, you know, if you're the undisputed junior uh, lightweight champ and then you go up to fight the undisputed lightweight champ, you never know. And I think that's a reasonable thing they could do, whether if the Katie Taylor Serrano rematch happens, whoever wins that fight is undisputed. Baumgartner against that winner makes for a really, really big women's fight. Absolutely. The stuff isn't uh, that complicated, and it's not a coincidence that they're fighting on the card. And by the way, let me compliment Rayfield again. I don't just blow smoke to blow smoke. Rayfield is rattling that stuff off about undisputed versus undisputed, and you had nothing in front of you, and I don't even think you looked that up. You were just doing it off the top of your head. I love that. I mean, I did did think about it before the show Yeah, but you weren't looking at anything. And that's what impresses me. It's not like you went back and referred anything because uh, I can see you while we're doing this. And you're yeah. just rattling off fights that were 20 years ago and 25 years ago, uh, which I <laughs> well, love. They were that quite that long ago. But anyway, All the right. thing that's so sick, by the way, and I'll just throw this out there. That card that I mentioned to you from Atlantic City that had Bernard against Joppy and Mayorga against um, uh, against uh, Corey Spinks for the two undisputed title fights. That was the, the reason I remember that so vividly, because that card that Don King put on was eight world title fights on the same show. That's you were talking about that last week. Yeah. There's That's never what King been, would keep doing. There's never been a show that had eight world title fights. And, you know, they weren't all like eight. the elite world. Most of them now don't have two. And the King yeah. card had eight world title fights? That's I mean, some of the, there was a couple that were interim title fights. But the bottom line was you had like a real cruiserweight title fight. You had Zab Judah in a title fight. You had Haseem Rockman against John Ruiz in a WBA interim heavyweight title fight, which was a horrible fight. And you had a uh, junior bantamweight uh, title fight in a rematch. The bottom line was there was a lot of world title fights on there. Uh, and it just so happened that the two top title fights uh, were both for undisputed. That was a great card. Let me tell you, that was yeah. one of the best I've ever been to as far Sounds as overall. Like 
All right, so we're good on the previews. Without further delay, rising super middleweight, Edgar Berlanga is undefeated. He is now a promotional free agent. Dan spoke with him earlier in the week. Let's hear that conversation now, get some follow-up comments from Dan on it uh, as we rock along. All right, everybody, I want to welcome in my next special guest for the podcast this week. It is none other than a super middleweight free agent, undefeated up-and-coming contender, Edgar, the chosen one, Berlanga. Edgar is 20-0 with 16 knockouts, 25 years old. And Edgar, now you're a free agent out there in the marketplace shopping around with your team for a new promoter. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for doing this. How you been? How you doing, Dan? How's everything, man? Everything's good. I'm glad to hear that. So as I mentioned, you are a free agent now. It's kind of unusual for a young fighter such as yourself in an undefeated record who's becoming a bit of a draw, who has a good fan base, to, to suddenly be out on the market. It's, uh, it's not a common thing. And I know uh, as we tape this, it's Tuesday when we're taping this, so I know you and your team, your manager, Keith Connolly, uh, you met with Golden Boy Promotions, Oscar De La Hoya, today in New York City. Oscar, uh, and I think you also posted some pictures of that meeting on, uh, on your social yeah. media. Keith tells me you have uh, uh, later this week you'll meet up with uh, Eddie Hearn from Matchroom. They have their event on Saturday at the MSG Theater. And uh, that he'll also be talking to Al Heyman from PBC, who he's also done a tremendous amount of business with. Tell me from your point of view, Edgar, what is it? What is the experience of being a free agent in a in in this situation been like for you? Are you enjoying it? Is it nerve wracking? What's it like? Um, there's a lot of emotions right now. You know, I didn't really expect it to happen like this. You know, especially you know leaving top rank. Um, but I'm happy, man. I'm anxious. Is I got a, a lot a lot of different feelings right now. You know, I'm, I'm happy. I'm anxious. I'm nervous, but most importantly, man, you know, I'm I'm glad that, you know, we're in this position, man, and it goes to show my worth. You know, all the promoters are contacted Keith. You know, um, you know, we just had a meeting with Oscar, you know, later this week, like you said, we gotta sit down with our with Eddie Hearns. You know, you got Al Heyman that we still in and you know in contact with as well. Um, Floyd Mayweather called by phone last week, you know, out of nowhere and you know, that was pretty surprising talking to the champ as well you know so right now you know I'm, I'm in a good position right now you know and uh it's not a bad thing you know obviously you know it happened to the best you know you see it happened to Floyd Mayweather you know Miguel Cotto you know the list could go on with fighters that you know that opt out of contract got out of contract with, with certain promoters absolutely so uh since uh as we're talking it's a few hours after you had your meeting with Oscar De La Hoya and uh, Eric Gomez from Golden Boy how did that go uh, what kind of things did they present to you um, actually, it was an amazing, um, you know, experience. It was, it was an amazing meeting. Um, you know, I didn't really expect it to be that good. You know, as you know, Oscar's just a humble guy, you know, and uh, Eric Gomez is a wonderful guy as well, man. And, uh, you know, they didn't really uh, offer nothing. You know, they're going to sit down with Keith. You know, they just wanted to present what, what they could do for us, mm -hmm. you know, and obviously take us to, you know, superstardom level, you know, get us the big fights and, you know, possibly get us the big, big money. You know, and uh, just move me the right way, you know, move me into a superstar. You know, uh, they know that I have the goods. They know I have everything that what it takes to become a megastar in the sport of boxing. What is it that you, when you, you know, because like you said, you're going to have offers. Uh, all, all these promoters are calling you Floyd Mayweather, as you mentioned, and all the other ones we just spoke about. What is it that you're looking for from your promoter? Um, for me, it's just, you know, obviously, you know, the right opponents, you know, 
the right opponents, you know, the longevity and, um, you know, building a relationship with my, with my promotion and, you know, the money as well, you know, because obviously, you know, we have a life after box, you know, we have a life after boxing. So, you know, and with us, it's like, it's, it's like we have a short gap in boxing. You know, that's why I was talking with, with Oscar today. You know, us fighters don't have us, you know, we can't sit on a pension after we've done fighting, you know. So, you know, fighters could say, oh, you know, it's about legacy. For me, it's about legacy and it's about the money. Yeah, you know, it's about it's about right both. Fights, getting the big fights, getting paid, you know, and be able to maintain my family and start my, my new life after boxing. So, you know, yeah, that's pretty much it. What we're looking for. All right. So now you you had been with uh, Top Rank for your last several fights. It seemed like it was a good relationship. You were getting uh, regular exposure on ESPN. Of course, that was during the the run of your great knockout streak. Even after that, you had another bunch of fights with them on the different ESPN shows. You headlined, uh, headlined in your hometown at Madison Square Garden Theater. Did good crowds. Uh, had stepped up your level of opposition. So, and then you you guys had, I guess, a difference of opinion about the way your career should be handled. Whether it was how much did you get paid, what types of opponents you should face. Should be the main event, should you be in a co-feature, that sort of thing. So you did your separation agreement and you became this free agent. So I wonder what what in your mind was it that that led to the to the uh parting of separation. ways between yourself and top rank? I mean, which what what do you think was the crux there? Yeah, you know, it was just a lot of differences. You know, they were when we wanted something, you know, we went we went back to them and, you know, they wanted something else and then we didn't want that and then they came back to us with something that we we came back with something that we wanted, they didn't want it. You know, so it was a lot of like you know, um, how can I say it? Um just sort of um, not on the same page maybe? Yeah, we wasn't on the same page with a lot of things. You know, we wanted to, to make the John Ryder fight happen. Obviously, you guys see now the, the sport of boxing sees that John Ryder is in line to fight Canelo. You know, the, these were the type of fights we was trying to get, you know. And obviously, you know, we wanted to step up. You know, we just finished facing a hard rugby guy, you know, Angulo for our, my next comeback fight. You know, we wanted to fight a guy like John Ryder, maybe in the U.K., and he was willing to come out to New York City to fight me in my hometown at the Garden. Right. You know, you know, he even be we, we, we Went back and forth on Twitter. You know, Eddie Hearns joined in and, and was down to do the fight. You know, that couldn't happen. You know, then, um, you know, uh, we got off for, you know, Jesse Hart. And, you know, people are out there saying, that, you know, I'm ducking Jesse Hart. I love because of Jesse Hart. That's what, like, the media is, like, you know, portraying. And you know me, man. You know, like, I come from I come from the ghetto. You know, I come from the mud. So, you know, I'm, 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 um, I'm not scared of nobody, man. You know, at the end of the day, you just got to make sense. And, it, you know, you got to just box him, bro. It's a business. You know, he should know that. Everybody should know that. But, you know, this, this is a business, you know. Do you, uh, do you look mm -hmm. at it like, uh, like with, at least from my perspective on the outside, it felt like for the first time in a long time in boxing, people did the adult thing. You could not agree with top rank. They could not agree with you. And then rather than get into a pissing contest and threats and lawsuits and nonsense, yeah. you acted like adults and you went your separate ways. You know, whatever you uh, may have dealt with, it, it feels to me like, you know what, in the long term, you know, you guys, you gave them some good shows. They gave you some good opportunities and you just walked away like gentlemen. Is that, am I right about that? Or was there something more to oh, it? A thousand percent. You know, like, uh, like I told, uh, you know, I was out there telling everybody, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't bash them. I don't criticize them or anything. You know, they did their job for me. They did a, a good job. You know, obviously, you know, I got to a certain level in my career, you know, that, that we couldn't come to an understanding. Um, and you know, you never in life, man, I learned that you never want to burn bridges with anybody, you know, because later down the road, you never know. Two years, three years from now, you know, we want to make another big fight happen, and they have to have certain fighter, you know, 
So you wouldn't have a problem making the fight happen. You so, get what I'm saying? Like you never want to burn a bridge with no any promoter. You know, you don't, you always want to keep that relationship whether you with him or you not. Like so, fair to say then, as far as your relationship with Top Rank, uh, you move on to a new chapter. They go do their thing, and no hard feelings. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. Now, when you before you were with Top Rank, and then later when you were with Top Rank, you ran off that incredible string of sixteen consecutive knockouts in the first round. You've now gone the distance four fights in a row, but. The, the trade-off, at least from my viewpoint, is that those four fights in a row where you went the distance, you're fighting a better caliber of opponent. You're fighting guys who fought for world titles and that sort of thing. Um, do you think that the reason that, that the knockout string didn't, I mean, it was inevitable it was going to end, obviously, Edgar, but that it ended because, look, you're stepping up and facing better guys. And when you face better fighter and better caliber of talented guys, you know, it's a lot harder to get knockouts. Yeah, no, I mean, everybody could look at it that way, but if you really dig deep and you really watch these fights when I fought Demar Nicholson, I had him knocked out in the eighth round. If it was a yes. ten round of fight, which I'm fighting now, he would have been out of there. Well, you, you also how saying? many times you dropped uh, Denon Nicholson? I dropped him like four or five times, I believe. So it's like that guy was already ready to go. Like he was done. Nobody's ever done that to that guy before. Drop him four or five times, not even Jesse Hart, you know. And um, and, and I think... was an eight round fight. I was fighting a ten. Even if I would have had an extra fifteen seconds in that last round when I hit him with that big overhand right. Yeah. I was going to stop him. You know, that was a fight that was just, he got saved by the belt. And then you go down to, like, a Coursera's where, you know, I tore my bicep in the third round, but, you know, I broke his audible bone in three places. Nobody talk about that. You well, know, I, the, that, well, that was, was actually, to me, that was, the huh? I mean, the most impressive of all of your fights, frankly, was the Coursera's fight because not only, as you mentioned, did you suffer a legitimate injury that you had surgery on, but you hurt him back. You also got up from your first ever knockdown and showed a lot of heart to finish the fight. And by the way, you still won a clear decision. So I don't think anybody well, was well, going to give you a grief yeah, over that. Yeah, but, you know, people are going to say certain things, but nobody don't really know the real inside truth of, you know, his corner was telling us after the fight, like, yo, we, we dropped you guys, but we was going to literally stop the fight, and in, in, uh, I believe in the ninth round. When okay. I got dropped, they was going to throw in the towel. You know what I'm saying? Because of his eye. You know, if you look at everybody that he fought, all the champions or whatnot, on the high-caliber fighters, you know, nobody put his face like that. And then, obviously, I came back within four months. I came back to two main event fights, big fights at the Garden. Right. You know, and, you know, a, a torn bicep injury, you know, that takes at least a year to a year and a half recovery you know and with me it was like I, I wanted to, i wanted to get right back in the ring well you know, and, the, and those fights that you mentioned like you fought after the injury you had uh, a fight against steve rolls clear decision the romer alexis angulo fight was a, virtually a shutout i think it was uh, nine to one on two scorecards and eight to two on the third i gotta ask you about that fight and i don't want to belabor the point but that was a fight that brought you the kind of attention that you probably didn't want because of what happened with the the attempted of the biting and then the yeah, you know, yeah. joking around about it, the suspension, the fine. Uh, it, and I don't, again, not to belabor it, but briefly, what did you learn from that and what the heck happened there? Um, I learned not to make a joke about anything, you know, um, especially like that. Um, I didn't, you know, I was just, I just, I just, I was just caught up in a moment. You know, obviously we fighters, man, my drilling is on a hundred, Yeah. you know, and I could, I could say that I didn't even like, even it was, it wasn't even in my conscience to just like, just say it just because I wanted to say it. It just came out. You get what I'm saying? So, you know, um, if I could, re, you know, redo the whole fight, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't try to go, f you know, for attempt air bite like that. Mm -hmm. It was just for the simple fact of him fighting and the ref not catching stuff that he was doing with the headbutts. You know, he split my eye open with an elbow, you know, punching me, hitting me on top of the head with his elbows and stuff. So he was he was a dirty fighter, rugged fighter, you know. So I just, you know, I just reacted how I reacted, you know, and it was a poor decision. But, uh, you know, 
I can't look back. That's the past, man. Like, sure. that was seven months ago. You get what I'm saying? Like, we want to know better things, man. You just had, the reason I'm asking because you haven't fought since. And by the way, it strikes me, and I don't know if people realize this, the reason why I believe you and your team that, like, you really were sort of upset with yourself that it happened was because nobody on your team tried to fight the suspension. You took the suspension. You sat out. You didn't try to appeal it or anything. You just took it, and that was that, and now you're, you're getting back in business. So now, as you move forward, um, whatever promoter you end up signing with uh, – when do you think is a realistic time that we'll see Edgar Berlanga back in the boxing ring? Um, right now, you know, everything right now, you know, we just move at a certain pace right now. You know, Keith is, you know, the lead horse right now. So, you know, I'm just I'm just sitting back and watching everything happen. You know, I don't want to put a date on. You know, we're going to be back within the next probably like three months, gotcha. two okay. and a half months. I'm looking at, but, um, you know, we're just looking for the right deal, the right promotion, the right relationship, man. And so we can continue to make history, man, and just, you know, build my legacy and become champ. So the biggest fight in your weight class as a super middleweight, obviously, no no shock here, the undisputed champion is not only is it Canelo Alvarez, he also happens to be the biggest star in boxing. Uh, that yeah. has been a fight that was mentioned about, oh, wouldn't it be interesting down the road to see Edgar Berlanga maybe match up with Canelo Alvarez? Obviously, it brings to, to the forefront the great rivalry between Mexican fighters and Puerto Rican fighters and all that. Now, look, we all know that whatever happens with your career, you're going to need a couple of fights getting back before that's even a reality. But how far in the future do you think, or do you think that it's a realistic thing down the road for you and, uh, and Alvarez to hook up at some point? Um, if you really look at it, right, because, you know, right now he's dealing with match from, you know, they offered him a guy, uh, you know, he got offered John Ryder. So with me, it's like, you know, he's not going to, I don't, I don't believe he's going to fight Bivol because Bivol has that, uh, he has that mandatory now with, uh, with Arthur Betterbeef and that's a bigger fight for him as well. You know, he already did what he had to do with Canelo. So with me, I feel like, man, like if I could jump in there and get my feet wet, you know, fight another fight, maybe in Puerto Rico and then take on Canelo or get my feet wet and then we could get it right on. You know, I feel like the moment's now, man, you know, right now, you know, Canelo's at a certain age, you know, where, you know, he's about to head out. You know, I'm coming up. You know, he's Mexican. Like I said, he's a star. I you're got, trying to, I you're got trying to push him into retirement? Is that what you're, you're trying? Say it again? I said, uh, Canelo, I mean, I know he's older than you are, but he still seems to me got a few, you know, some good years left, don't you think? No, of course. Hell yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, he's a, Canelo's the truth, man. He's a beast, you know. And uh, I never, um, you know, spoke bad about the guy. You know, he did what he had to do in the sport of boxing. Anybody could say anything, but he's, he's the he's the male chick. You know, he's the, he's the guy that... that that's bringing in, you know, the money, the fans, you know, and just making the sport interesting. So, you know, um, like I said, man, I feel like right now, you know, like the Puerto Rico-Mexico thing is, is amazing, you know. And I know if he was, if I, my name was brought up to him, you know, he, he'll want to take a look at that fight as well or be interested in the fight because of the situation where I have a, a country behind me, you know, and he knows that rivalry is, is fucking, you know, it's crazy. So I'm going to go on the premise like this, Edgar, and say, okay, maybe that's a legit fight, uh, you know, in a little bit. Not not quite yet, let's say. Especially coming yeah. off your layoff, coming off the suspension, changing promoters. You know, you're going to have at least, I would think, one, maybe two at least before it becomes realistic. You yeah. think that's fair to say? And, and, and Dan, yeah, Dan, it, it, it makes sense. Yeah. You know, like, right now, you know, what fighter, like, you know, I'm not taking on the wave. You know, he fought Triple G. You know, you got Benavidez. You know, you have Charlo. You have these guys, but, like, who really has a country behind him, especially Puerto Rico? You know, you know how Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico, the <laughs> fan base in Puerto Rico, boxing fans is at least like 1.5 million people in the island that loves boxing. Listen, I've been you I've know, been so to Puerto Rico to cover Miguel Cotto fight. I know what the fans are like there, and plenty of New York fights. So you're 100 so, percent right there. Yeah, so you know, and right now I just I just got off my flight uh, yesterday, coming from Puerto Rico, and 
that's what everybody's just talking about, you know, like who we gonna sign with, and you know, we, you know, fight, you know, we gotta fight Canelo, you know. Obviously, he beat my guy, you know, he beat Miguel Cotto, mm -hmm. so that'll be like a big thing, you know, as well, you know, me coming back, you know, I'm young, you know, he's older than me, he's Mexican, I'm Puerto Rican, he beat, you know, my fellow Puerto Rican brother Canelo. Um, I mean, uh, he beat uh, Miguel Cotto, so you know, that'll be pretty interesting. So if you put the Canelo fight to the side for a moment, because uh, you're going to fight at yeah. least, you know, before that would even be realistic, it seems. You, the promoters you're talking to, at Golden Boy, they have uh, Jaime Munguia, for example, who's going to fight in the super middleweight division. Over at PBC, yeah. who Keith's going to talk to, they've got a great matchup with Kayla Plant against Benavides coming up in March. They have Charlo as a middleweight, who's obviously at some point going to move up. Eddie Hearn at Matchroom, they work with Canelo, or at least have over the last few fights. They do have John Ryder, who has one of the interim titles. He may end up fighting Canelo. So I just listed some some interesting sort of opponents out there. So if you put Canelo to the side, is there someone else in that in that super middleweight division with any of the promoters that intrigues Edgar Berlanga as a possible opponent? Uh, yeah, Munguia. Munguia is another possible opponent for us, you know, that we spoke about with Oscar today at the meeting. You know, get in a fight with him as well. You know, he's Mexican. And, you know, you, you know, there's, right now, the sport of boxing needs those excite, exciting fights. You know, a lot, you know, a lot of fights now are just getting put just to get put together. But, like, you know, like back in the days, it was like a lot of, like, rivalry fights. And, you know, Mugia is like one of the guys that, you know, we looking forward to as well. You know, he's Mexican. You know, he's my age. He's young. I'm young. He's a beast. I'm a beast. You know, so he has his country. I got my country. So it's like, you know, fights like that, that makes sense, that 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 a sell, you know, and, and, you know, we can make the most money and create legacy with that, you know? That would really be a good fight. I think, uh, not that I say I speak for all boxing fans, but if you said to me, hey, Dan, you can check out Edgar Berlanga versus Jaime McGee, I'd be like, sign me up for that. Do you think that's a possibility? It, it, like, if you end up going with Golden Boy, I have to think that's going to be one of the fights that's going to be in the offing uh, at some point between uh, you and Munguia. Is Am I crazy to say that? No, no, a thousand percent, man. You know, we already spoke about it. You know, if we do decide to, to go that route with, with, with Oscar, you know, go in and, 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 and uh, you know, set up a fight with, with Jaime Munguia, you know, he's, he's a true Mexican. You know, he, you know, obviously you've seen the numbers he did and, you know, he has a big following, you know, his Mexican fans over there in his country. So, you know, it just makes sense, man. Like, you know, I'm up for anything, you know, like right now, you know, I'm a free agent. I just want to, you know, make the best out of it, you know, as much as possible. Well, I know I wish you the best of luck in uh, figuring out what you're going to do. And the good thing is wherever you wind up, it seems to me that there's going to be something very interesting for you uh, in the future. Edgar, thank you very much for doing this. I wish you the best of luck in working all this out. All right. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate it. All right. Intriguing. As you talked to him earlier in the week that he had already met with Oscar De La Hoya. And then on his itinerary, he was also going to meet in person with Eddie Hearn because Hearn's in New York for the women's world title doubleheader that we've been talking about and as you said earlier uh you you believe he will also or his representatives will have a meeting with al Heyman with pbc he is clearly playing the field uh as you talked about with him he would like to be back in the ring probably in the next two or three months all right anything else off that interview after after talking with him i just found it interesting uh that in you know here he is as a as a Pretty good name. He's not at the top level yet. He's not a champion, but he does have a following. He has been a ticket seller. Uh, you know, he has fought some good opponents in his last few fights, even if he didn't look spectacular relative to some of those earlier fights where he was blitzing everyone in, in the first round. You know, he was coming off the suspension because of the attempted bite 
uh, which as you heard the interview and also maybe have seen his previous comments, you know, he apologized for it. You know, he knew it was the wrong thing to do. He was, you know, he's not trying to make a lot of excuses about it. And uh, listen, the bottom line was his parting of ways with top rank. And I, I appreciate this fact that they were all adults about it. They didn't see eye to eye on the way that they, they should move his career. Him, his father and his manager, Keith Connolly, his father being Edgar Sr., and the top-ranked folks. They just, you know, they weren't on the same page. And instead of getting to a pissing contest and making threats and nasty names and threatening lawsuits and blah, 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 you know what? At the end of the day, they shook hands. They parted ways. They, you know, I don't think either one is thrilled about the way that it ended, but they haven't, like, dogged each other. You know, if people listen to the interview, Edgar made the point about not wanting to burn any bridges. He doesn't hold any hard feelings against them. He said they did a good job with them, which uh, they did. They put them on in the main event twice at the Madison Square Garden Theater. He made his biggest purses. Um, and now he's going to move on and he's got another opportunity. And obviously, if you're a promoter out there and you want a little bit of star power, a guy that can still potentially develop into a championship level fighter who already has a built-in fan base, who's already got a, a number of fights under his belt, you don't have to spend years building him up. Um, you want to talk to him and see what what's out there. Oscar De La Hoya talked about trying to make him a media fight at some point, not immediately, but next couple of fights. Berlanga has a big uh eye on someday you know in the not too distant future he hopes fighting canelo alvarez i think that's a little bit of a stretch at the moment but he does make some valid points about the mexico puerto rico situation you know canelo probably would think it's an easier fight let's say and can make a lot of money in that kind of matchup uh, might be appealing to him if he uh you know depending on what he decides to do in his next couple of fights the point is he's a free agent he's testing the waters you don't see a lot of, of marquee names in boxing in the free agent field, the way you do like in a baseball, football, basketball. Right now in boxing, I can think of only two at the top level. One is is Berlanga, not maybe at the top level in terms of his accomplishments, but in terms of name recognition. And of course, the number one guy out there is uh, Terrence Crawford, who's also been talking to Oscar De La Hoya about uh, some sort of deal. And he's obviously did his last fight uh, on a one-off with the, the, the folks at BLK Prime. And uh, it'll be interesting to see where Edgar lands. I think there's interesting opportunities for him wherever he winds up, whether it's with PBC or with Golden Boy or with Matchroom. And the good thing for him is that his manager, Keith Connolly, has done tremendous amount of business with Heyman, a ton of business with uh, with uh, Eddie Hearn, and uh, you know has a, has a very solid relationship to deal with Golden Boy if necessary. So he's in a good spot, Edgar Berlanga. Like all of that, hey, just real quick answer. Isn't Canelo, because you're the insider, isn't Canelo also at this point a free agent or is he still beholden at the moment to something with Matchroom to zone because of the Triple G or is he free to make a deal with somebody else? He would add to that category also if he is. Correct, and I should have mentioned that. That is true. He is a, I, I didn't mention him because he has been a free agent doing these short-term, you know, one or two-fight type deal. So, yes, my bad. He is also right. a free agent. So he, he does not have anything... To my knowledge, I actually spoke to some of his people in the last few days just to sort of check in and get a, a lay of the land, take the temperature, so to speak. Uh, most people think he's going to stick around with Eddie Hearn, at least for the next fight. Uh, but it's, you know, if somebody's out there, Canelo is always willing to listen. That's why when he left Golden Boy, he didn't sign a long-term deal with somebody that he decided to do at one point a two-fight deal or a one-fight deal to just, you know, be able to pick and choose the the best and biggest opponents that he wanted to do or that the fans wanted to see. And so uh, right now, the thing with Canelo is there's no obvious fight that you have to see it, it, to me anyway, other than I'd like to see the Benavides fight. But right now, David is tied up with the fight against Caleb Plant. So forget about that for the moment anyway. So what's the big fight for Canelo? 
you know, there's the prospect of a Bevo rematch, but that wouldn't be till the end of the year. So he's got this spot in May where it's kind of like whoever's out there that can do the fight. So Eddie has uh, talked to him about doing a fight with John Ryder, who's got the interim title of one of the organizations of which Canelo is the full champion in the super middleweight division where he's undisputed. And so there's the conversations. Are we going to do a fight with, with, uh, with Ryder? Is Canelo interested to come and fight in the UK for that fight where of course it would draw a huge crowd or you want to go back to, you know, your old stomping grounds in Las Vegas where Canelo is obviously a big star and would draw a big crowd against, uh, you know, John Ryder or anybody pretty much. So that's all stuff that will come together probably in the next few weeks. But uh, yeah, he's also a big time free agent as well. Love all of this. Let's do a quick pause. We've got fight news. We've also got very interesting news about Showtime and Showtime, therefore, by extension, championship boxing and how it's going to be folded under the umbrella, at least initially here coming up of Paramount+. Plus. Dan's got some insight on that. What does that mean for the future of Showtime boxing and televising of fights? And we got a little nostalgia, too. All of that coming up. We're back on Big Fight Weekend. Now, here's your host, TJ Reeves. Back in once more. Love the insight as well of our insider, Dan Raphael, Fight Preacher Night Substack, as well as BigFightWeekend.com. We will come off the weekend after the Navarrete battle uh, with Liam Wilson on Friday night, ESPN Top Rank Show, after the women's doubleheader. Uh, in New York of championship, undisputed championship fights, separate fights for Amanda Serrano, Alicia Baumgartner. We'll recap all of this on the Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast on this very podcast feed. Make sure you're following, subscribing. You'll get that automatically as well. Late Sunday into Monday is when the recap podcast comes off of all of this. There is some fight news. Uh, there's some interesting Showtime Paramount Plus news uh, as well. Uh, and then we've got a little nostalgia to get to. Let's get to the fight news first. You mentioned Kayla Plant, David Benavides. It's now official. They met with the media on Thursday. Give me a little more on that one real quick. Yeah, I mean, they had their kickoff press conference in uh, Los Angeles in front of the press uh, to hype up their Showtime pay-per-view, which is on March 25th uh, in Las Vegas at the MGM Grand. And I watched them spend, you know, I, I actually turned it off before it was over because I was sort of like, I'm so over and bored with the just, uh, fighters getting in there and just, it's one thing if you get in there and you talk, you talk shit with the other guy and back and <laughs> forth, but this was just, and it's mainly from Benavidez side, not so much Caleb Plant's side. It was just a nonstop stream of just pointless cursing for no reason. Uh, I just, I, you know, maybe I've just been doing this a long time, but there's ways where you can say some bad words, but be funny and make a point <laughs> instead of just like a steady stream of just nonsense. And it was really the other irritating part about it wasn't so much even about Benavides. It was his father, um, you know, who just, you know, it's one thing it's, and, and Caleb Plant made this point, you know, usually if you hear guys talk tough at the press conference, it's the other fighter. They're the one that's going to have to get in the ring and back it up. But when the trainer starts talking shit, who doesn't have to get in the ring and get hit, uh, and he's sending his son in the ring instead, you know, it's unbecoming, let's say, uh, it just was silly. The father lost his <laughs> mind. You know, he did, a uh, he made, he made Angel Garcia, Danny's father and, and mm. Tiafimo Lopez's father, Tiafimo singer look like normal, rational people. Uh, uh, so or, it, was, uh, it was disappointing. I was just sort of like, you know what? It was, I don't, I can't really put my finger. I mean, look, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm interested in the fight. It's a good fight. Obviously no one's going to dispute that, but you know, have a modicum of class. You can, you can talk shit and you can, you know, still make it kind of funny or you can even say terrible things. I thought right. the way that, 
the way that the way that uh, Caleb handled it was kind of funny because he was like, you know, look, I'm going to be there ready to fight. I'm not going to miss weight, and I'm not going to be testing positive for cocaine. Hello. Basically, he was ripping yeah, Benavides yeah. for the two times that he lost his titles <laughs> uh, because he was overweight for one fight and because he tested positive for cocaine at another. So, you know, Plant was, as he said, I've been here before. Him against Canelo, yes, Benavides was ragging on him because he got knocked out. And Plant was like, look, when the when great fighters fight, somebody's going to win, somebody's going to lose. Um, at least I fought him. And he's making the point that Benavides in his whole career has yet to fight a truly top guy. Bottom line is, it's going to be a good fight. I didn't really care for the press conference. I got you. Uh, WBO interim title fight official for Joe Joyce in the heavyweight division. He will fight uh, Zalei Zhang, the Chinese uh, heavyweight contender. That is going to be April 15th. That's going to be a busy date, though, right? Because that's also... The Gervonta Davis Ryan Garcia tentative date. This will be in London, correct? So that's uh that's now set, correct? Yeah, I mean, I reported about that fight last week. We touched mm-hmm. on it a little bit on one of the past podcasts, but now Frank Warren made it official uh on uh on Thursday with the announcement, and it's a good matchup. I mean, you know, Joe Joyce is an uncrowned champion. He has the interim title, but he has never actually had a fight for the real title against anybody for a belt. But if you take a look at his resume, he's been fighting a lot of top guys. I mean, and, and delay is just another one of those in that, in that run of fighters. They're both big, strong guys. It shapes up like a good fun fight. Uh, there's a, it's not done yet, which is why when the Frank announced the fight on Thursday, this was not part of the announcement, but there's a very strong likelihood that when it's all said and done, this fight will be available to the United States audience on ESPN plus where many of Frank Warren's biggest events that are not pay-per-views, uh, do land, uh, you know, we've seen fights with Joe Joyce before, with Daniel Dubois, obviously with Tyson Fury, who's co-promoted by Top Rank, and other fights that Frank has been involved with. So I would say there's a, a, a certainly a, a, a very strong chance it's going to be on ESPN+. Plus. But uh, again, good fight. Um, Got to favor Joe Joyce just based on what he's been doing and the great iron chin that he has and his resume and and that sort of thing. But uh, anytime you get two top guys, you know, you know, two top big men in there swinging away, you know, they're both kind of slow. They both carry heavy punches and, uh, you know, it should be fun. All right. Interesting that another uh, fight that has now been announced, we originally were looking at the possibility of the rematch uh, for Stephen Fulton and Brandon Figueroa, which was a tremendous fight of the year fight in November of 2021. That rematch is not happening yet because Fulton is now going to fight the monster, Naoya Inoue of Japan. The former, Well, we think the former undisputed Bantamweight champion. So now a pivot for Showtime because they're going to have Figueroa fight another former champ, Mark Magsayo. Magsayo uh, pulled off an upset win previously to win a featherweight title, has now lost uh, the featherweight title, and now is going to go for an interim title with Figueroa. So Showtime announced that. That we're gonna yes. get, and we're gonna get that sooner rather than later. Later, later on this. When are we getting that one? What is what's the official date on that? Oh, the Magsayo fight against Figueroa, as you mentioned, be for the WBC's interim title. Good fight. Uh, certainly will be an action fight, in my opinion, based on their styles. Uh, that fight is supposed to headline on March fourth. There we go. Uh, which will be the headliner? They have a triple header that's going to take place at the Toyota Arena in Ontario, California, uh, which has hosted boxing before, if not the you know huge fights, but certainly over the years. And uh, they put they made that announcement earlier this week. And, uh, you know, that's a it may not be a star studded type of main event, but it's a it's a very solid. And uh, if you ask me, pretty quality matchup, um, you know, Magsayo to me has sort of been at times maybe slightly inconsistent. 
you know, he did not look very good when he lost the title to Ray Vargas. He looked pretty good against Gary Russell when he won the title. Gary Russell, though, fought most of that fight pretty much with one arm. He was injured, but you can't take the win away. McSayo um, is the is a protege of Manny Pacquiao. Uh, and they put together two middleweight fights for the televised undercard. It'll be the return of Jared Hurd, who was the former uh, unified champion at 154-pound weight class, who was in the fight of the year in 2018 in that very exciting victory he had. Uh, a victory he got thanks to a 12th round knockdown against Arislani Lara in a, in a, in a tremendous fight that I was at that I would tell people for the rest of my days sitting ringside, not for the main event, but during the undercard fight between James DeGale and Caleb Truax and their rematch when the blood went flying at rings, I got it all over my arm and uh, my, my man, uh, one of the guys I was sitting with uh, at ringside were snapping pictures of my bloody arm. Uh, my man, Andreas Hale, who was there from, uh, uh, now is with uh, the Sporting News. In any event, uh, he's on the comeback trail. You know, he lost his last fight in an upset. Didn't look very good. He struggled with some injuries. He was deeply impacted by the COVID-19 situation. His father passed away. He took some time off to kind of collect himself. Uh, he got engaged. So now he feels like he's got the fire back. He's coming back on this undercard. He's going to take on Jose Armando Resendez and uh, look to try to make a run in the middleweight division. The other fight they have is a fighter named... Uh, Amilcar Vidal, who is uh, an undefeated fighter, and I've talked about him before, a Samson Lukowitz fighter. Uh, if you if Samson Lukowitz is bringing you to the ring, you know that you can probably yep. fight. So he's in the opening fight on that show against another middleweight uh, named Elijah Garcia, who was also undefeated. Um, so again, uh, not necessarily a lot of star power or a lot of big names, but three, in my mind, pretty evenly matched, solid fights. Um, you know, I guess you you know you probably make Vidal and Hurd and Figueroa all maybe at least slight favorites, but there's not a single fight out of the three where it's like, you know, 20 to one kind of fight that we see sometimes on these shows. So, you know, it's a show for the diehards. It's not going to attract the mainstream viewer, but if, but we're diehards. We're doing the podcast. So yep. you can be damn sure I'm watching that fight, uh, that fight card. That should be a fun night. There's some good, good, good fights on that show in my mind. All right. Should be a lot of fun with that. Um, all right. A couple more things, and then we're done here on the preview show. And again, a full recap coming off the weekend on the Fight Freaks Unite recap. So you wrote about this in your Substack, and this has been out there as Paramount Plus grows. And Paramount Plus, again, is CBS. It's, it's all of that programming. And that's also Showtime. And Showtime is now going to be folded in in some form or fashion later this year with Paramount+. Plus. The concern would obviously be, why we're bringing it up, is what's the future of Showtime, their championship boxing, their pay-per-view as this goes. So you wrote about it a little bit. How concerned should – it's not concerned in the short term next three months, probably six months, but how concerned should we be as this goes along that this is going to cut back on Showtime boxing, et cetera? What do you think? Well, first of all, just so everybody is very clear, we don't know the answer to that question. The Showtime right. people claim uh, that, hey, business as usual. And for now, it is business as usual. They're rolling out fights. They've got mm -hmm. a robust schedule. As we've talked about, whether it's the pay-per-view we just spoke about with Plant and Benavides, they've got other pay-per-views that are in the works, whether it's going to be, you know, Gervonta and Ryan, Gervonta uh, Davis, Ryan Garcia, that is hopefully going to be finalized uh, soon. Uh, Errol Spence's return against probably Keith Thurman. There's talk of doing, uh, they're trying to get in everything, get their ducks in a row on a Deontay Wilder fight with Andy Ruiz. So, you know, and that's just the pay-per-view side in terms of the regular fights that we talk about. You know, we just talked about the, the Meg Sayo fight against Brandon Figueroa that was announced this week. There are other fights on the calendar. They have a show box they just added to their calendar. The point is, for the time being, no one's going to ever see or notice a difference on Showtime because they're just doing business as usual. But 
I don't live in a bubble. I live in the real world. And I watched and dealt with and felt and still to this day feel what happened with HBO boxing when they pulled the plug after 45 years of a glorious history in the sport. And suddenly at the end of 2018, um, right after uh, the, the, the second fight between Triple G and Canelo, their last pay-per-view, they announced that their boxing franchise was being canceled. They did a few more shows and that was the end of the run. It was just like, boom, like that. And all of a sudden, after all the years, and, and basically HBO being the part of the life of a boxing fan in America on a daily basis, practically, ceased to exist. And you'd be a, a dummy if you didn't think that when a big company makes a massive change like is about to happen, where Paramount Plus is going to be merged and melded with Showtime, where the new product on the streaming side of things will be called Paramount Plus with Showtime. Uh, I'm not really sure what they're going to do in terms of the name of the linear channel, mm -hmm. uh, which will still exist in some form. Um, you'd be a silly not to think there's the possibility that they could get rid of boxing. They have a new executive that's in charge of the Showtime network, not the sports department specifically, but the overall network of a guy named Chris McCarthy, who comes from the Paramount side of things. Um, new bosses like to put their stamp on things, obviously, and do their programming the way they want. They've already canceled some scripted series that were due to go on Showtime. Um, if you read uh, the, the, the mainstream media articles like I've done in the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times and go on, you know, CNBC, the business uh, channel and their website and things along those lines. They're talking about how this is absolutely going to have layoffs uh, that will come through at, at the network at Paramount and at Showtime, I guess, uh, with redundancies and that sort of thing in terms of your job descriptions. But the one the one quote that caught my eye, this was from a memo that this Chris McCarthy, the new uh, boss of Showtime, uh, wrote in a memo that was sent to the staff on Monday of this week. And I quote that the company would, quote, divert investment away from areas which are underperforming and that account for less than 10 percent of our views. Now, I don't know the specific numbers of Showtime in turn. I know what their ratings are, but I don't know how that compares to their percentage breakdown of who watches. What I do know is that the pay-per-view market is soft. And that you're considered a huge home run if you can do 200,000 buys these days, which is pathetic compared to what it was not that's even right. that many years ago. And that's not, an, that's not an indictment of Showtime or even of the matchups. That's really just because the world we live in, piracy is so easy. And there's lots of things that, that people do with streaming and social media and TikTok and YouTube and all that kind of stuff. And on top of that, the ratings for Showtime boxing and boxing in general, while solid and, and decent, they're not hitting home runs. They're not gangbusters. No, you have something really special. Like even the big top-ranked shows on ESPN, the biggest ones will hit, you know, over a million viewers. But if it's a regular kind of show, you know, they just steam along. They, they're they solid again. They do decent, but they don't do anything that's going to make anybody, you know, go run to the boardroom on Monday morning and say, we need to renew the series for, you know, an extra 20 shows a year or something like that. So in, in the way that the world is with streaming – and, and everything that's going on, you have to at least ask the question, is this going to negatively impact Showtime's boxing franchise? I certainly hope it doesn't. They have a maybe not the legacy of an HBO, but they've been doing it for you know a very long time, since, 19, uh, since uh, 1986. 37 years have been involved in the biggest fights, the biggest stars they've been involved with as either the primary or a partner in literally the biggest pay-per-view fights that have ever taken place, like Pacquiao Mayweather, which is the all-time record. They did, you know, lots of Mayweather fights, Tyson fights, Chavez fights, Canelo fights. I mean, yep. they've done everything. 
Um, and I'm worried. I'll be honest. I mean, I, I'm again, I don't, I don't, again, I'm going to reiterate. I don't know that there's going to be any negative changes. I just know what's happened in the past and the past is not prologue necessarily, but you got to be a fucking idiot not to think that there might be something going on here negatively. Right, so two things I would say, and I know something, I'm obviously in the broadcasting business. You've been in the broadcast and journalism business for a long time. So the HBO demise had two things behind it. Remembering that story. The first thing is the phrase you said that's in the memo, how much money are we making off of this versus who's actually watching this? And the argument was at that time from the HBO people, when we're putting on, I remember this specific example, when we're putting on Game of Thrones and Game of Thrones has got 22 million people watching it, which it literally did. And we're putting on a boxing card that doesn't have a million people watching it, we start to evaluate where do we allocate resources for what people are watching. And the second point they were making is that boxing has become so saturated on TV and everywhere and on pay-per-view, streaming was starting to become a big deal, that the exclusivity, the novelty of having boxing on HBO wasn't what it was, obviously, in the 80s and the 90s, where every important fight, it seemed like, was either on HBO or eventually on HBO pay-per-view. All right, so Showtime now, as we fast forward, is kind of facing the same argument. So now we don't know the truth on how much audience is there actually there, and then we don't know what the argument from the non-sports, non-boxing well, people... I, I got to interrupt for one second. All right, go ahead. You're, you're a little off on one thing. One of the issues that HBO faced, among many, you're, the points you made are valid. I'm not saying yeah. you're not. But another issue that they faced that was dire to HBO, if you take a look at the types of fights and events that they offered over, say, like the last two two plus years of their existence in boxing, the, the decline in the quality was dramatic. Right. Yes, they still had the big pay-per-views with Canelo and Golovkin and that sort of thing. But what happened was they no longer had access to the best fighters that they once did. All right. the PBC guys had left. They had basically been banished from HBO. Heyman and the and the hierarchy had a falling out. So all of the Heyman guys were doing their business on other networks, on Showtime and the time buys that they had done, and but largely on Showtime and also on Fox. And then you had the fact that Top Rank had left them to make their big deal with H with uh, with ESPN, which really was a right. huge thing because they no longer had access to the top rank stable with that was a game changer for them in terms of what they could put on. It was also obviously huge for ES uh, uh, for ESPN and top rank top rank now had a place to call home. They had exclusivity. They had a guaranteed dates. They didn't have to fight for dates and, and pitch fights and go through the rigmarole of trying to get a fight on and begging to put on a prospect. So they left. So that left top that left the HBO with basically a diminished golden boy stable at that time because Heyman had taken so many of their fighters when they split up their relationship, they still had Canelo, but he was a pay-per-view fighter. And then they had whoever else might come along like a fighter here, a fighter there, you know, that they could maybe cherry pick from this promoter, that promoter, but not the, the, the promoters with the biggest and best stables. And so that also is a big part of the demise of HBO. Showtime does not face that situation because they have access to all the PBC fighters. Now that may not be, representative of all the best fighters in boxing but pbc certainly is involved with you know is it fair to say a third of the best fighters in boxing at least probably that's fair i would think uh and so they can put those guys on but there's there's other issues now look I'm, I'm i'm trying not to be alarmist but i'd be less than honest if i didn't tell the people that are listening that personally speaking based on what's occurred in the past my knowledge of just basic business concepts when new people take over and different things happen 
that things can go, you know, can, can change like in a heartbeat. And, and, uh, and boxing has been hanging by a string in a lot of places for a while. The star power of the sport is down. The promoters and the power brokers don't make the biggest and best fights to get that audience revved up. And, uh, you know, it's sort of goes on that sort of downward spiral. So I hope that it doesn't change anything. You know, maybe somebody suggested this to me, TJ, that maybe because they're going to put so much resources behind the, the, the rebranding of Paramount Plus and they're going to want more programming that maybe in some ways it might help boxing. They might put more money into it to 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 get its um, foundation going on their on their uh, Paramount Plus uh, premium tier of their service. So maybe that might be a possibility, but. I don't necessarily see it like that. So the final point that I was coming to is, unfortunately, it's similar to the HBO situation where it is executives at the higher level that aren't necessarily sports people that are looking at it as a bottom line thing. And one more point about this, and this is not just an indictment of Showtime or everywhere else. This is where the chickens come to roost on your guys don't fight enough. They're not important enough. They don't draw enough in terms of audience or pay-per-view. It is a systematic problem in and around the sport. And then these kind of situations come up where people that are not sports people look at it and say, if we can put on this reality show, this drama series, and it gets 10 times the audience, that's what we're going to do. For so, less money. For less money, maybe even. Yes. So now, the one thing that I that I was always schooled in in terms of the premium cable networks, I know times have changed, but in the heyday of HBO and Showtime, there was a certain element of the critical acclaim that you were, you could put on a certain show or a certain event that would, that it was okay to appeal to a more uh, narrow niche audience. And that it wasn't always driven by just the ratings. It was driven by the prestige. It was driven by the fact that you had people paying for a subscription. So as long as they were Mm -hmm. buying the monthly service, the ratings were not as important because as long as you saw Again, the, as the as those premium cable channels matured, it became less about adding subscribers than it became about retaining subscribers. Do you always have to remember there's both? You want to bring in new subs, but you want to retain what you have. And by boxing in specific, and maybe you know you could think of other shows or certain comedies or whatever that may not have mega audiences, but those people that watch it are very loyal. And that if you have a half a million diehard loyal subscribers to your channel because of their boxing programming, which doesn't seem unreasonable based on what the numbers that they do, that that's, you know, out of a universe that they have about what, 25 million subscribers, that's not insignificant and that they would still cater to that audience once a month or twice a month uh, on their service. So there's two ways to look at it, but um, I'm just, uh, a little skeptical about the whole thing at the moment. Pardon, pardon with, me for that. With good Hopes reason. That, I hope with it's all good. Reason. You know, I hope it's all good. And the one thing I'll say about this also, the people that I know, a lot of the staff members and the folks that work in Showtime Sports, they don't just view their boxing program as, like, say, a widget, the way that the top executive w- would, where if it's a drama show, a sports show, or this or that, it's all interchangeable. It's what's bringing in the biggest audience, what's it costing me. But the people that put their heart and soul into Showtime Sports, People like Steve Espinosa, who is a diehard boxing fan, uh, many members of his staff, a lot of people I know on the production team, people who obviously the people like their announcers, like Brian Custer and Al Bernstein and and Morrow and and, and the, obviously Abner Morris, Jim Gray, all those guys. These are these are true boxing fans, so it's important to them. It's not just a job, you know. A lot of these people 
boxing is what they, they they've been in it for decades in many of them. And it's uh, it's very important. So they care about the sport and I'm sure they want to see it continue at the top level as they have been presenting it for many years on the network. All right. We'll see if that continues. Let's wrap up on this and let's get out of here. Uh, anniversary time. And speaking of HBO, it's the anniversary. When is that? Is that today as we release on Friday? Uh, yes. for the HBO Boxing After Dark first ever world title episode, first ever episode. And it's a good, and I remember this. I, I remember this, but go ahead with the nostalgia, please, real quick. February 3rd, 1996. So before I was covering boxing, but when mm -hmm. I was obviously a huge fan and watching boxing, working as a sports writer, just not covering boxing uh, at the forum in Inglewood, California, as we've discussed at past times, a famous venue for sports and entertainment and certainly has had a lot of big time boxing events there. Uh, my good pal and a lot of people in this business is good pal Lou DiBella at the time, now a promoter of recent inductee into the International Boxing Hall of Fame. But at that time was the executive uh, or not the executive, the senior vice president of senior of uh, HBO Sports. And he was one of the guys, he was the right hand man of Seth Abraham who was the president of HBO sports. And Lou had a lot of latitude to put on the fights that he wanted to do and make the deals and, and bring in certain fighters. And he championed the cause of smaller weight fighters, which did not get that much love. And when I say smaller weight, I'm talking like say below, like lightweight and below, you know, so featherweights and, and junior lightweights and, you know, those types of, you know, junior featherweights, the smaller weight divisions, um, that cost a little bit less money and they had obviously exciting fighters. So his idea, the idea was let's put on some of these smaller weight fights, uh, prospect ish rising contenders, maybe unloved champions that were looking for an exposure fight to get known, but match them tough. So we can see what they're made of and, you know, put on a, put on a great battle. And if they are successful, we know at some point they'll graduate into the big show, which at that time was world championship boxing. That was the behemoth. That was the, right. the big, the big daddy in terms of the ratings, in terms of the money. And so he, they got the green light to create what was called Boxing After Dark. Those of us in the business, I mean, I didn't cover Boxing After Dark at the beginning, but at the uh, time I started, I covered dozens and dozens of Boxing After Dark cards. It was affectionately known uh, by a phrase coined by uh, the legendary boxing writer, Hall of Famer, and one of my mentors, Michael Katz, as Boxing After Deadline, because <laughs> the shows came on so damn In the middle late, of the night, right, right. In any event, uh, the very first show of that series uh, they hit a home run and, it, and eventually the series became so popular that it began to rival what world championship boxing was doing. And it was costing much less money to put those events on. And we were just talking about, you know, the, the, the cost uh, benefit analysis uh, as it relates to what was going on at Showtime. In any event, that very first card, the cut to the chase on February 3rd, 1996, uh, the opening fight was a Johnny Tapia fight, a young undefeated uh, junior Bantamweight champion, Johnny Tapia in a, in a wipeout win in the second round. But wow. more importantly, the main event that night. Now, wait a minute. Can I just stop you? Did you sure. know that without looking it up? Did you remember that? You weren't yes. there. You remember no. Tapia was the unbeaten champ in 96, and he was like the co-feature of the warm-up fight. You're amazing to me. I know I he keep kissing out, your butt on this stuff. He, but he that, knocked out uh, Giovanni Andre in the second round. <laughs> He's doing this without looking at anything. That's just incredible. All right, continue uh, I mean, on. I, on the nostalgia. I understand. I did write about it a little bit for my uh, my Friday notebook, so it's sort right, of in my I'm mind. But I right. but I knew that even beforehand. It's you know I've been a I, I don't I don't think you quite understand. 
I have been obsessed with HBO boxing for most of my life. I get that. I understand that. But I'm talking about doing things without having to look at them. I've been obsessed with college basketball the same way you have been with boxing. And I can remember most of it. But there's a lot of the time when I have to look at something. And I'm just pointing that out. Back to Barrera and Kennedy McKinney. Because I've got a quick Kennedy McKinney story. But go on your nostalgia. So that that was the main event. Kennedy McKinney was a United States Olympian uh, in uh, 1988. Do you uh, want it? I'll give it to you right now. You want the intersection with TJ Reeves that you don't even know? Kennedy if McKinney, Memphis, Tennessee. Tennessee yes, Kenneth, sir. Kennedy McKinney won his gold medal in Seoul in 1988. TJ, that was in September. The Summer Olympics were late that year in Asia. TJ is a freshman at Memphis State University with Penny Hardaway, not with uh, not with Elvis Presley. And I still remember the welcome home ceremony for Kennedy McKinney and a young student radio reporter, TJ Reeves, went to the Kennedy McKinney welcome home press conference event. That is that is right around late September 1988. I'm an 18-year-old. I'm revealing my age at that time. I'm an 18-year-old student reporter. I was there. It was that big of a deal. He went on to become a world champion and pick it up about fighting Barrera. How about that? That's pretty good. So he had been a junior featherweight champion uh, after his stint in the Olympics. He was a very talented fighter, exciting fighter. And uh, Marco Antonio Barrera was the he was the WBO champion. Now, at that time, HBO didn't even acknowledge the WBO the same way they didn't acknowledge Tapia having a title in that first fight on that broadcast. So it was still at that time, like the three belt era, the WBO existed, but not a lot of people considered a true title fight. But in retrospect, obviously, you know, he was defending that belt uh, against Kennedy McKinney in the first main event of that Boxing After Dark series. And it was as good of a fight as you could see. I mean, it was maybe not the fight of the decade, but it's in the top probably three, four, five. Just an absolutely scintillating, spectacular, action-packed fight. I would encourage anybody that doesn't know about that fight, that's never seen that fight, it's on YouTube. Go and watch it. Mm. You had a fantastic, fantastic fight. Barrera, he 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 dropped Kenny McKinney five times in that fight. He also got knocked down himself in the eleventh round, and it was just, I mean, there's that, and I, I don't remember what round it was. I want to say you like the end of the sixth round. I've watched it so many times. End of the sixth round, maybe end of the seventh round. You have, you know, Larry Merchant, you know, who is uh, the commentator for HBO, you know, who is. If he compliments you, take it for real, because it's hard to get that kind of compliment out of him. When he tells the fans, folks, this is as good as it gets, when they're just beating the shit out of each other, yes. but with skill. Like, it's not just a sluggy match. They're doing you know, deft moves and good footwork and hand speed and all kinds of intricacies. And they're just battling it out, and Kennedy's got the biggest heart. And there's a great comment from Pat Russell, who was the referee, when Barrera... Uh, finally knocked him down for the fifth time and Pat waved off the fight. You can hear on the audio on uh, I had them they had the referee mic'd on the on the broadcast. You hear him as he's like holding Junior Jones, um, not Junior Jones, who was another opponent of McKinney's at some point, but he's holding on to McKinney. He goes, Son, you got the greatest or the biggest heart I've ever seen because of the kind of battle he put up. Yes. And Barrera at that time, nobody knew he's going to become like one of the greatest fighters in Mexican boxing history, win world titles in multiple weight classes. Uh, be involved in all, all-time great fights against Eric Morales, have the mega win, uh, the signature moment of his career against uh, Nassim Hamed. Uh, this was when they were still starting out. You know, Barrera was a younger fighter. Uh, McKinney was uh, still a really good contender, even though he had lost his world championship, you know, before that. First time, 
27 years ago, and it's an mm. absolutely fantastic fight. And I don't say this lightly. It's literally one of the best fights I've ever seen. You know, one of the best fights that ever aired in the history of HBO over 45 years of fights on World wow. Championship and Boxing After Dark. I remember I mean, it. Just fantastic. And especially when McKinney scores the knockdown late in the fight, you're thinking you're going to get the dramatic upset. He's obviously losing the fight because of the previous knockdowns and looks like he's beaten up and – I still remember yeah, I mean, Kennedy, listen, he, Kennedy McKinney. Barrera Memphis, had Tennessee. dropped him. He'd been down two times in round eight. He'd been down another time in round nine. He comes back. He drops Barrera, you know, in round 11. And then Barrera comes back and finishes him off, uh, you know, with two more knockdowns in the final round. I mean, so the fight, even though it was lopsided maybe on the cards because of all the knockdowns, the fact that he had knocked down Barrera in the 11th, you know, you're thinking, well, can he maybe land one more punch and maybe get the, uh, get the stoppage? So just a fantastic fight. I mean, you know, and and the and the commentators that night, Roy Jones, uh, Max, uh, Roy Jones, uh, Larry Merchant, and Jim Lampley were all on point that night. I've watched the broadcast a thousand times. Just a great call of a great fight. Tremendous stuff in the nostalgia. We love you for it. It's been a busy show. We got a lot in on this one here as we release the podcast and we get ready again Friday night. ESPN top ranked show Navarrete. Liam Wilson of Australia. That's the main event. Saturday night, women's championship doubleheader. The ladies take the center stage uh, with Amanda Serrano and Alicia Baumgartner in separate undisputed title fights. We'll come off the weekend and recap that. Great job with Edgar Berlanga as well. Let's see where he ends up. Other than that, I think we're good. Have a great That's a first full weekend. show, TJ. That's that is a, a show. show. Uh, that is a show. Have a great weekend. Dan, we'll talk to you on the Bet US Boxing Show. So if you're hearing us Friday morning, come find us at 1 Eastern time for the Bet US Boxing Show for some predictions on the Bet US platforms, et cetera. And again, find us off the weekend. Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast right on this podcast feed. We'll recap the weekend uh, right after it is uh, all said and done. Have a great weekend, my friend. We'll talk to you soon on the Fight Freaks Unite recap here on this podcast feed. Thank you, Dan Rayfield. You bet. And on the Bet US show, TJ, we'll talk about my great record last week in the picks. Yeah, you did. You did well. You bounced back. Me, not so much. We'll see if we get better here in February. For now, we are good. Follow or subscribe on the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed to the Big Fight Weekend preview and much more. Bye.